Personal style in the film world can be summed up and personified by one slightly pretentious French word, auteur. With film directors, much of what really makes an auteur is seen in the development and refinement of their own personal style. And this doesn't mean that the director in question has to be completely unique, though that's often a qualification lumped into the definition of the word. But what it really means is, if you took two films by an auteur, set them side by side, you should be able to see some similarities between the two. There's also a sense of grandiosity and independence associated with auteurs. The mythos around being an auteur is that executive producers have less clout on an auteur-driven film, like the directors have more say. Sometimes it's even intentionally done. You don't give Nora Ephron or Spike Lee or Spike Jones or Jackie Chan a bunch of money to go make a movie the way that you want it made. You give them money to see a movie that they want to make, most of the time anyway. The thing about an auteur is, is sometimes they develop a style that is so unique and unwavering that their name almost becomes synonymous with that style. That's super Wes anderson or, oh, that shot was very Spielbergian, are ones that come to mind. Auteurs generally split people apart. They have strong voices, and those voices have pitches that people either love or hate. Nancy Myers, the director and writer of today's film, has a very unique style. High-key lighting, immaculately dressed up, if plain, sets, small, non-earth-shattering dalliances that the characters somehow find themselves amidst, and trysts interrupted by someone's sensibilities, all wrapped up in a sort of economic naivete. It's a style that someone could call basic, and that someone might be me, but there are also some things to like. She generally works with great actors. Like in today's movie, we've got Meryl Streep, Steve Martin, Alec Baldwin, John Krasinski, and Lake Bell all navigating a sticky situation of an affair amidst the backdrop of a Southern California that is richer than the cheesecake you have to hand back to the waiter of the fancy restaurant you're at and say a phrase like, Oh, no, no, it was fine. It's just a bit too much after the risotto. Sorry if that metaphor was a little off the rails, but like this movie, it's complicated. I think this is very French of us. <laughs> How is it French of us? I have a young wife, but I am having sex with my old wife. My old, you know, ex. I didn't mean old. You're doing that thing when you act like you're not listening to me, but think about what I said, okay? <laughs> you got me of your homemade granola here. It's been so long since I had it. Oh, you miss it? So much. We sell it for six fifty a bag at the store. Yeah, well, why give it away when you can... <gasps> oh, God. Kiss goodbye. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> she wants to be courted. I can do that. Oh, honey, thanks for the coffee. What what is your you're Irish, so what are you supposed to say when you're Irish when you cheers? Uh Solange. Knowles? No. Solange Knowles is Beyonce's sister. Um there's more. Like I think that is be well or God be with you. Right. Oh. But also wrong. Solange Navarre is one. What is it in Star Trek? Uh um, make it show. Is it? I mean, no. Is that a toast in Star Trek? You say, no. make it so? No, that's just what uh, Jean-Luc says. I know, but... Uh, he probably does. He says, make it so. Drink some Earl Grey. Hot. Hot. <laughs> Earl Grey. 
No one's ever cheers to Earl Grey. I think um, Jean-Luc Picard is from France, but he's British, so I'd say he probably says cheers. Yeah, okay. Cheers. That's the Star Trek way. And then, um, let's see, Riker would probably say, here's looking at you, kid. And uh, Data would say, I can process this if I want. Uh, Does he process liquids? Yes. Oh, cool. Can he get drunk? No. Oh, bummer. He can impersonate being drunk, though. Oh. Uh, In the Solo movie, Han Solo, (laughs) Kira asks, what should we drink to? And Han says, well, let's drink two and see where we go from there. And it's like, that's a good, nice that's, that's a good style. Um, I'd say that wasn't very solo of him, though, if he wants to. That's more duo. <laughs> Welcome, to everybody, to A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. My name is Kelly McCrillis, and always with me is my co-host. Drunk. <laughs> Apparently, because I'm drinking this brown stuff you gave me. Not yet. We are drinking Averna, which is an Amaro. It's a digestif. We've each had our dinner, and so, I mean, we're really just doing what's best for us. Mm. Ryan, I, I'm assuming you didn't make a game for me this week because you've uh, had a fussy, mussy ba- baby. Fussy baby. I didn't really make a game, but I... I guess since we're drinking, we'll have a drinking game. <laughs> well, okay. We <laughs> uh, This week, I'm going to preface this with the movie we watched this week. Mm-hmm. We watched Nancy Myers. It's complicated. Like that Facebook status from 2009. Right, exactly. And I want to ask you... If you wanted to make this movie actually complicated, this plot, mm-hmm. what would you add to it? Add a leopard. Well, leopard would be good. <laughs> what if... You could trade the titles and call this movie Bringing Up Baby and just figure, well, they raised children, so they brought up baby, and then call Bringing Up Baby It's Complicated and they would still be applicable. Sure, because it's complicated to have a leopard. What about this? Steve Martin and... Uh, Meryl Streep, our brother and sister. Like Luke and Leia. Like Luke and Leia. Yeah. And they're actually- I'm already on board. Okay, great. No, what about Alec Baldwin um, having a terminal illness, and that's why? Because his wife is actually dating his brother. Her no, brother. No, 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 no. Alec Baldwin has a, has a terminal illness. Would that make this movie complicated? That would make it more complicated. Right. Okay. Yeah, that would, be one, that would be one step too far, a, a bridge too far. Oh, really? Well, a, a bridge too far from being complicated? No. A bridge too far from being realistic? Yes. Having a if, terminal if, illness? If, <laughs> if in the world of rom-coms where leopards are normal, that would still be a bridge too far. Really? I don't know. I don't think so. Well, maybe not. You could probably Give me get another that. complicated. Uh, it would be complicated if John Krasinski also fell in love with Meryl Streep. That would complicate oh, things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be complicated if Meryl Streep was actually in love with Meryl with Agnes. Streep or with Agnes, right? <laughs> Poor Meryl Streep. <laughs> I see her in the mirror every day. She grows more and more beautiful. I see me, I see me, actress, woman, star, and lover, sister, sweetheart, slave, and mother. And I like what I see. I can just imagine, you know, that look that characters give each other at the beginning of movies of like, oh, hello, I'm finding you attractive. Like when yeah. Steve Martin looks at Meryl Streep in this movie. Actually, I actually did think when Meryl Streep looked at uh, Lake Bell in this movie, at first I was like, is, is she checking lesbian? her out? Is <laughs> yeah. she checking her out? 
But what if she had that with a mirror? <laughs> she's just walking by her mirror. And Every then she mirror. Stops. She's like, she's like <laughs> that, oh, That hello. basically makes her Reggie from the Archie <laughs> comics. I haven't seen Riverdale, so I don't know if he's like that in that. But Yeah, that would make it complicated. Yeah. As it stands, Ryan, what you, would you think of our, our film? I, I want to know your opinion up front. Up front? Um, see, it's rough because I wish... I would say it's complicated. It's my my view is is complicated. Uh, I wish I had shown you um, something's got to give first because that's that came out first before the holiday in this film. Okay, and it feels very much foundational to her like house style. Sure, I don't think. It, let me get there in a roundabout way. I think Nancy Meyer's house style was firmly established with something's got to give, and it was kind of percolating with her producing work on Father of the Bride one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, something's got to give us after those. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was getting there and then she did what women want and that was closer, but still not quite her style. Then something's got to give totally her style. And then the holiday in this film, I would you would concur that the holiday sends the Christmas stuff. The holiday stuff is very similar in style. Yeah. House style to this. uh, You're in, in house style. You're talking about the structure of it and the look of it. Yeah. Not necessarily the houses within it. Right. But I mean, (laughs) It's once again. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, um, but I would say I like this movie. I enjoy this film. I don't enjoy it as much as. Well, there's parts of it that I like more than the holiday, but the holiday overcompensates or just compensates with its Jack Blackness, um, and so it's almost too hard to compare because there's no Jack Black in this. So okay, you know, but I, I like it. I, I don't like it as much as something's got to give, but it's definitely in my canon of movies that I'll have on the Blu-ray shelf of like, yeah, I'll throw that on. Okay. Um, How do you feel about it? I didn't like this movie. Mm. I, I, um, I think especially the first half, I would call it a bad film. Okay. And then the back half, I think it redeems itself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's there's a lot of pieces of it that I love, but overall, I would say I'm not going back to this movie. Okay. Well, there's a lot to work out, so I think we should just get into the story so we can start getting into our opinions. So would you like me to tell you a story? You can tell me a story. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. Boy, it's complicated. Can I have more of Verna? Yeah, I brought the bottle in just here. Oh, great. And well, I'm going to hand it to you. Oh. You just got this carpet cleaned. Oh, thank you. No cats allowed. No cats allowed in here. No children allowed in here. Did, did Adults you... only. <laughs> this is our adult room. Did you ever watch that uh, Charlie Brown movie... Um... Or I forget what it's called, but it's a Charlie Brown movie where no dogs are allowed. And poor Snoopy. No, no dogs, dogs allowed. allowed. Okay, I'm fine. No dogs allowed. So in this movie, we have Meryl Streep, who uh, is 10 years divorced from Alec Baldwin. And her last kid is moving out of her house. And this culminates with her middle child graduating from college. Bum, bum, bum. So she is going to be an empty nester. Oh, no. And in addition to that, um, she's about to spend the weekend in New York where her son is graduating college with her ex-husband of 10 years, Alec Baldwin, and his new wife, Agnes, and their little kid, 
Pedro. Pedro. Pascal, the Mandalorian. <laughs> wow, he grew up fast to me. <laughs> and um, however, while she's there in New York, her and Alec Baldwin have a tryst because maybe things aren't going super well in his relationship. So they, as the kids say, bang it out. <laughs> After they bang it out, he wants to continue the affair, and she's not so sure, but she says yes anyway. And they continue having this affair, even after she's kind of met Steve Martin, who maybe she's interested in. He's her architect, not her original architect, but the architect who took over the project. And he's nice, and he's sweet, and he's charming, but there's just something about Alec Baldwin, and she can't figure out what it is, and maybe she does like him, but she doesn't know if he's really for real, but she can't say no to this, but maybe her therapist can say no to this. No, he can't say no to this, because her therapist is like, maybe you should try this out. And then... Basically, John Krasinski finds out, and he's wonderful as usual. Um, and then it all culminates when she uh, rejects Alec Baldwin, and then Alec Baldwin sees her on a date with Steve Martin when they're both high. And then <laughs> after that, Steve Martin and her are like actually dating, and she's like, I was going to date somebody, but I'm not going to date him anymore. Then Steve Martin sees Alec Baldwin's penis, which then separates... All, both of them and and uh, Ag, or uh, what's his name? Alec Baldwin leaves his wife or gets kicked out by his wife. And he's like, I want to be back with you, uh, Meryl Streep. And she's like, no. And then she's like, hey, Steve Martin, can you come back with me? And then Steve Martin's like, I don't know yet. And then uh, Alec Baldwin and her makeup and then Steve Martin and her makeup. That's that's that is the quickest summarization we've ever done on the show. I think we can be done now. Yes. Roll credits. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. So let's let's break it down in the first act. Break it, break it down. The where where do we begin? I mean, the very first let's shot. Let's talk about this house style. Oh man, Can, should we stop? Should we start let's with house start with style? The, yeah, let's start with this montage that she creates for okay. us. Okay, let's get into the like. Uh, ephemera of the film first. It's terracotta um, tiles all, all the way down. Okay. <laughs> so I think conceptually it, it's actually important to kind of get this understood about Nancy Myers is that like in The Holiday, what we have here in terms of characters and their situations is very fantasy. It's what I want to say is it's Hollywood bourgeois. Right. Um, but it's also just... Uh, What's the word? Naive or yeah, naive. I, I yeah, think, I think naive. I, I get what you're saying here. Uh, because Meryl Streep. So in the holiday, Kate Winslet works at a big time newspaper. Mm -hmm. She lives out in the sticks, so she that's how she can afford this nice cabin. Cause right, it's, but it's, she she has a lowly job at the newspaper. Right, but, but it's it's not like she has this high rise apartment in downtown London. She no, has no. This she has a cottage out in the middle of nowhere, way out of in nowhere that maybe Jude Law helped pay for in the first place. And <laughs> right, sure, and she rents it out. She clearly rents. She lives it out. in the same town as her brother. Yeah, right. But she clearly rents it out, so she gets an extra income mm -hmm. to take care of it. Cameron Diaz works at a trailer house. She owns the trailer house. Her clients are Hollywood Studios. I guess I guess I can go for it. I sure. guess I can go for her owning that McMansion in somewhere in Los Angeles. Sure. Here, Meryl Streep owns a bakery. Right. 
She owns a bakery. <laughs> well, and here, here's the thing. She she not only does she own a bakery, she works the floor. She works the floor, which is cool. I love when owners are more like tavern owners of old, where they're kind of like the maitre d and the owner and the bartender all in one. And she's got her employees and whatever. That's great and all. And she has this giant garden that she fills up. Like, cause you know, when we're actually inside the place, you see all the tomatoes yeah. and the stuff. And it's like, that's got to come from her giant ass garden in her huge house in thousand Oaks, California. Yeah. Where I was born folks. Um, I lived in not that part. of. <laughs> but Oaks, isn't that but, where your grandparents live right now? Don't they live in thousand Oaks? Well, yeah. Okay. So there are two, there are two distinct parts to thousand Oaks. There's like the suburbs area. And then if you go over the Hills, there's the area that we see in this movie mm. where mm. it's like people own acres of land and haciendas basically. Yeah. And for for Meryl Streep to afford that living, she must have gotten a really good settlement in the divorce. Yeah. Or had money beforehand because not only is this house giant or they her paid Her estate is giant. Her like she has a huge lot. And she's She's an empty nester, so she has nobody else living in the house, but she's going to see this. You're saying naive, which is a good word, because basically this woman's problem is she's an empty nester and she's kind of lonely. She hasn't been with somebody. And, and that that's a real thing. That's a heartache issue. Totally. Um, but she's she's got this thing where she's like, I'm building the kitchen I've always wanted. And she's putting an addition on this house. She's putting an addition <laughs> and she has consulted an architecture firm to design and build this addition. Now, granted, the movie does do the homework and says, oh, she's saved up for 10 years to do this. It's like, lady, how are you affording the house that you're in in the first place if you have to work the floor of this bakery, which by the size of it, it's per cap can't be that big. And you have like six chefs in the prep kitchen. So it was it was so unbelievable <laughs> to me that she like this rich person was <laughs> basically when we're introduced to Steve Martin, um, he is brought into the coffee shop by her actual architect. And he's been the architect in charge of her. Let me get into this, okay? I'm a freelancer and I've handled clients and I've also handed off clients to other people. If you're going to do it, this is the slickest way to do it. Because what her architect does is he sits her down in a room with her and Steve Martin and she shows him her the plans. And once she approves the plans, he's like, oh, that was him. That was him. That was him. So he's basically like segueing her into Steve Martin being her new architect mm -hmm. without telling her directly because he doesn't want to work with her anymore. Was that what was going on, or was it just a cute, meet cute kind of thing? It could have been just a cute, meet cute because kind of thing. Because she was behind maintenance. Yeah. And she was she would say I'm being high maintenance. Cuz she did send 47 emails. And so I imagine this architect was like, uh, I'm done with you Meryl Streep." But it it was just a weird scene to have in a rom-com in my opinion. It seemed very real, but it seemed like a like cuz Basically, he just kept saying, oh, that was Steve Martin. That was Steve Martin. Steve Martin did all of this. Why didn't you say that up again at the start? Because you didn't want her to know that you had handed the project off to somebody else. I can see the read of, of the thing being like, he is your destiny. Like, oh, I love this. And the architect is the architect of that destiny? Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get into the house style some more. So okay. yeah, yeah. I want to finish my diatribe against the socioeconomics in this film because it's ridiculous. And I think Nancy Myers fully understands it or doesn't give a shit. It, the it, socioeconomics are fucked. I don't know Nancy Myers' background, but what it feels like to me, having seen just two of her films, not including... I'm not going to... Have you seen The Parent Trap? 
Yeah. Three. Okay. That was her. But yeah. Well, I mean, I've also seen Father of the Brides. So. Um, yeah, but that was Charles Shire. Right, right, right. So I don't want to include them. Mm. But, but my Alec whole- Alec Baldwin. I'm... Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> but either she just doesn't get- she, Maybe she's just wrapped up in this Hollywood world and she's like, this is what I care about making movies about my life- which is, you know, filled with money. Yeah. Or she's somebody who came from no money and is like, I want to splurge in this world and show that I'm a part of it. I'm not sure which it is. I don't want to disparage Nancy Myers at all. But me watching this movie, I, I kind of cho- choke a little bit on the cloying richness of it. Right. And I, 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 tef- I definitely see where you're coming from. There is a read of the film that still lets me enjoy it, but it, me too. it has a- to, again. it's indirect. Let me, let me get into it. Cause I, I had a lot of thoughts about this with sure. Sarah. Uh, so she, Nancy Myers has, whether she likes it or not, has become Lucille Bluth. And <laughs> <laughs> I have the Ike and Tina tuna. Plater platter. I don't understand the question. And I won't respond to it. Because she, I just, I think she's either ignorant or willingly ignorant about economics. What's a banana? $10? Exactly. That's precisely what's going on. Where she, where we're here in Portland, which is an expensive market. It's a top 30 market. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to live here. And we know managers, I mean, we know owners of bakeries, you know owners of, you know, coffee shops, yeah. and we know roughly their lifestyle and what kind of, like, income they have. They don't live anywhere close to this. Even when, like, I know the owner of a coffee shop who has, like, done very well for himself, and he is, I, I wouldn't say a tenth of the way close to her wealth. So Not what, even close. What she could have done to make this believable is have it so that her bakery is a national brand and this is her store. Sure. And Or she could have had her not like, have a perfect house. Right. But if she wanted her to be rich, it could be a regional brand, the way that we have like Fran's bread or whatever, um, or like sure. Killer, yeah, Killer yeah. Dave's bread or something where it's like... Killer Dave. <laughs> is that his name? It's Dave's Killer. But Dave's yeah. Killer bread. I love Killer Dave. Sorry, Dave. Uh, <laughs> That would have been believable because then she would have the volume to support making that much cash. But right. I just, you and I worked in the service industry and we've, we just know it's like, no, she can't possibly make that much cash, especially no. if she has six prep chefs. Like, that's what the other thing that threw me off. It's like, uh, you wouldn't need that many prep like, cooks in a bakery. So a comp bakery to this, well, not really because Ken's doesn't have like all of the fruit and extraneousness, but there's a bakery in in Portland um, that's in probably one of the bougier parts of town yeah. being the Alphabet District. Yeah. But it's a really good bakery and they like, there's probably six people working there at a time, maybe seven or eight, but they're prepping like bread to be sent out to um, like different hotels around and restaurants. I'm not this year as much, but they're, they're also like making a ton of bread and pastries all day. And, 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 and also like her restaurant, like sandwiches and soups and stuff like that. But, but <laughs> we're really harping on this point, but it's just so jarring because we're just like, no, and I think we should, uh, you know, interrogate it and then be able to leave it. Behind let, let, we're we can move, like, I just wanted to get this out of the way completely because it's just so, uh, I think it's such a, it's part of the fantasy element, and that's yeah. why I'm mm-hmm. saying I'm not going to knock the movie for it. I just think it's funny. 
Okay. Because I like in the holiday, so much of this film is a female, a version of a female fantasy. I'm not saying it's the female fantasy, but I'm seeing Nancy Myers personal fantasy on display in the same way that I saw it in the holiday with Jude Law just saying all these sweet little nothings into her ear of like, what does he say? He's like, you're better than you thought. What, what does he say? He's like, you're already, you're already better than you think. Yeah. All these little things where it's like, guys, don't talk like that. And I do. <laughs> um, but I'm Jude Law. Uh, I don't see this one as much of a fantasy and we can talk about that, but this movie does start off with a montage of just California rooftops, followed by California coastline, followed by California vineyards, landing us at a rich people's, uh, dare I say it, super white party. Mm -hmm. And it's just a a whole bunch of people schmarming around, um, expositioning at each other. And this movie, this is my main problem with this movie, is it's nothing if not a, unless it's Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin in a room, or Meryl Streep and Steve Martin in a room together, it's just exposition porn being next to rich porn. I, I don't I, well I think it's more rich porn I think it's just poor exposition just right, like right, right. had to throw you into the story right uh, and you know um it's the same it's the same setup as the holiday because here the movie starts off with them being like wow you're around your ex and like giving us all this contextual information uh, dialogue that no one really does mm-hmm. it's better handled in the holiday where her where um Kate Winslet's coworker is like, "Wow, you are pathetically still in love with your your right, boss." Right. Um, so, I think it's just clumsier in this version than it, in the holiday, which had a little bit more refinement. It definitely feels like they're um, like because what I do like about the the plotting element of this is they set up um, Alec Baldwin and Meryl Streep next to each other, and we don't know that they're not married for like the first three minutes of them being there, maybe even less time, but we get that they can interact together in a peaceable way for Mm -hmm. a divorce. Yeah. We, we, so half that scene is showing half that scene is telling. Right. And I, I, what I really think is, and I haven't seen something's got to give, but it feels like the Peter Jackson problem, uh, where you have, uh, Azog the destroyer and now he's in CG. Right. In, in a manner of speaking, because we have uh, Nancy Myers, who's kind of I probably top of her game right here. Yeah. And I don't mean in quality, but I mean in people letting her do what she wants, because totally. this is an eighty five million dollar movie. <laughs> <laughs> and she just made the holiday, which was a huge hit. Right. Well, three years before, but still like she had clout. She had she that writing. Her. Yeah. And I, I see a lack of filmmaking here that I think is indicative of this genre sometimes where Nancy Myers isn't out to do anything interesting. She's out to tell the story that she wants. Well, and I would I would disagree with that slightly. What she's doing that's interesting is stuff that you're not interested in. What, mm. she, what she's interested in is this, this fantasy live-in-a-catalog kind of movie. Well, what I'm talking about, when I say like a lack of filmmaking... I, I you were talking about a house style, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know going to be high key lighting. It's going to be like really extravagant homes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we say that like a filmmaker can be invisible. Like Nora Ephron is one of those really poignant filmmakers who can, and I think Rob Reiner is very similar, where they can not be showy with their filmmaking, but it's so well done that 
it's I, I almost just don't even see them trying that they're succeeding. You wouldn't know that Rob you wouldn't know that the director of The Princess Bride was also the director of When Harry Met Sally. Right. But it is. It is. Or the director of This is Spinal Tap. And, All and same like, guy. And that's how I feel about something like um, You've Got Mail or Sleepless in Seattle as well. Mm-hmm. Now, in this movie, like there's something about it that feels paint by numbers to me. Mm, okay. um, and I, it's in the lighting, the framing, the... I, I think almost like lack of choices, like everything feels like it's in a medium or like just a slight wide. And when we actually do get in close ups or like wide shots, they, they just feel so unintentional. It was like, OK, we need him coming from a distance, so we'll put the camera here. Right. So your assessment I would say is not wrong, but I think your analysis is uh, slightly misguided. I will slightly disagree with your Lay analysis. It Lay it on me, but friend. I think I think your evidence is is absolutely correct. Mm. Um, so I, I'm not going to disagree with that point. But I would say there is so much intent in the filmmaking, uh, and it's it's all about evoking something. It's evoking Meryl Streep's presence. It's evoking Meryl Streep's place of mind. So, like in the first scene, let's talk about her as a character. So the first yeah. scene. Uh, she's talking with their friends and Alec Baldwin, her ex-husband, and they're like, oh man, it's been so many years, and they're reminiscing. Right. And one of the first subjective shots is that shot of Lake Bell coming in a bikini. And her seeing her boobs and her legs. And may I say, Lake Bell. Yeah. Hot I'm, diggity. I'm all right. Yeah. What? She's not on your, uh, she wouldn't be on your, uh, you know, the uh, no list. <laughs> On what? I don't know. Uh, no, I mean she, in this movie, she's kind of not supposed to be that tantalizing. She's just supposed to be like a hot young woman compared to all these middle-aged people. To me, like Belle is cool. Okay, yeah, cool is a cucumber. Um, go ahead. <laughs> you're look. You're conferring with your notes as if you were ready to disagree with me. Go ahead. Uh, but one of the first objective shots uh, is Meryl Streep staring at this woman's boobs and. I immediately got the sense of what it is to be in the headspace of Nancy Myers and what she feels her daily life is when she sees women younger than her and how she sees how she sees those women, especially if they're married to her ex-husband. This movie feels very personal like that. Yeah, and I yeah. really got a sense of personal filmmaking. And so you could you could levy the same charges against Spike Lee on his first film of like, well, it's a lot of basic shots. It's like, but we're getting personality mm, with those basic no, shots. No way would I say that. Like the sex scenes in that movie? Well, are sure, you kidding sure. me? But but a lot of the, the exposition shots are just kind of like wide mediums, some close-ups. Uh, that's not, I, I guess... I mean, we don't have to get into comparisons, but okay. I'm just saying... This movie still felt like a personal. We are the first people to compare, compare those Spike two Lee to Nancy Myers, but it felt very much like a personal story being told by no tour, not now, by a basic. Now that filmmaker. I agree with you on, and one thing I do want to praise this movie for is it takes real world problems and makes them feel personal, mm-hmm. and I think it does that mostly with our main character Meryl Streep, where. She, at one point in time, after interacting with Lake Bell, uh, Agnes, in this movie, she goes to a plastic surgeon, right, Mm -hmm. for uh, an eyebrow lift of some kind. And she just wants one lifted. And it's it's a pretty funny scene, but she decides against it because he's like, "Uh, you're going to have a headache for... He basically just explains the 
horror show that doing some kinds of plastic surgery are. Mm -hmm. And I want to say when she leaves this office, it Meryl Streep makes a lot of choices in this movie. It looks like she's just finished doing coke. <laughs> I, I want anybody who has this movie on their shelf to go back because she walks down the hallway and like kind of wipes her face and then just rubs under her nose a couple of times. <laughs> um, and uh, Meryl Streep is dealing with not feeling as attractive mm-hmm. as she wants to. It's kind of a midlife it's, crisis film in general, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of what the plot is, her regardless headspace. of the character, it also it feels like a midlife crisis for three or four of our characters. Yeah, yeah, but. Regardless of that, Meryl Streep also doesn't want Alec Baldwin, after they do hook up, to see her naked, mm-hmm. um, which felt very real. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's there's been times where I've gotten out of bed where I'm like, oh, just don't look at me right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, those moments felt real. But I think a lot of this movie felt, and a lot of Meryl Streep's problems felt clouded by this persona that they gave her uh, via her world, whether that's her gal pals that she has conversations with. Mm-hmm. One of them being Rita Wilson, who I think was wasted in this movie. Well, um, she's fun. No, I think Rita Wilson is fun. I think they wasted having her on set. I think they could have done any number of things with Rita Wilson and this wasn't what to do. Okay. Because whenever she meets with their gal pals, um, they're like drinking white wine and they're just, expositioning 24 seven at each other and it's boring to me and it's not real. And it feels what it feels like is rich 50 somethings or 40 somethings complaining about no problems. <laughs> that is beyond. <laughs> Got in the elevator <sighs> between that and the staples in the headache for six months. That was the most insane hour of my life. <laughs> Jake has lost his mind. No, I don't know. Oh, I know. He's a complete prick for cheating on you. I can't disagree with you on that. <laughs> and then he marries her? A known lunatic? Oh, she has a big job. <sighs> Why do you always say that? Because she does. She runs the whole marketing department at KY. Or <laughs> whatever that station's called. <laughs> She can't be that big of a lunatic. Janie, come on. He cheats on you with her. Your 20-year marriage ends. Then six months later, she leaves Jake and runs off with some random guy, has a baby, then leaves that guy for Jake. And she's not nuts. Oh, Joe, you are so lucky Jerry is dead. Thank you. (laughs) No, I mean, you don't have to bump into him. Well, that's true. (laughs) Oh, Janie, do you want to meet a guy I met on Match.com that I didn't like? Oh, wow, what a great offer. No, thanks. I don't think so. <laughs> well, he wasn't that awful. <laughs> Sounding better every minute. <laughs> you know, it's not healthy to not have sex for however long it's been. <gasps> Trust me, I am not not doing it on purpose. <sighs> okay, I don't know if this is true, mm-hmm. but I read online about a woman that hadn't done it in so long that her vagina closed up. So here's how I read those scenes. There's two scenes where Meryl Streep has wine with her lady friends and they're complaining about, you know, problems that they're having, which are legitimate problems like being an empty nester, which is totally a a sympathetic issue. Um, But you know how I explain certain rom-coms or certain films that have been given the chick flick label? Sure. And... This feels like it's talking down. So (laughs) my point is... There are films like 
13 going on 30, for example, mm-hmm. where you Saw have that before prom, where you have characters <laughs> that uh, it's a movie that's more of a like a girl's sleepover movie than a, a movie you would watch with your guy friends. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I it's guess. the it's the kind of movie that I would prefer to watch. Like, I don't want to watch the Michael Bay movie. I would like to watch the Jennifer Garner movie, please. OK. Uh, because I like to... Plus, not Oscar Isaacs. Uh, who's the Hulk? Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. But that movie has uh, a feminine perspective to it that I liked learning about. Mm-hmm. And it showed girls being girls. And I was like, I-, I-, I would just like to learn more, please. Here, we have a scene where it's Meryl Streep with uh, Rita Wilson, Mary Kay Place, and some other lady. Oh, uh, Mary Wentworth? Mm. Okay. I feel like Mary Steenburgen should just pop in, be like, hi. Mm. Um, the things that they talk about, it's not like I'm spying on my sister's slumber party and learning about the feminine perspective. Alexandra Wentworth. Alexandra Wentworth. This, These scenes felt like, and I know that you've had this moment, where you came home one night from your friend's house. It's 8.30 on like a Thursday evening and all your mom's friends are over and they keep accosting you and you're like, I would like to not be here. I would like to go to my room and play my PlayStation because you people, I'm sorry, are boring. And I, know, I don't want to be around you. I know what you're saying. I know your mom and I know my mom. Mm-hmm. And my mom wouldn't be friends with these moms. I mean, that's kind of my point is I think our, hey, mom, <laughs> you're cooler than these ladies, <laughs> yeah. mainly because and it's not these ladies fault. People get together and drink wine and bitch about things all the time, whether you're guys or moms or divorcees or dads. It happens. It's the filmmaking and especially double down on the writing of these scenes are I'm going to say it piss poor. I think it makes these women out to be lame. I don't think it's out to be lame. I think it's out to have version of women out there that just their personalities aren't for us. Like I was rewatching When Harry Met Sally the other night and I'm like, man, I would love to just get lunch with Carrie Fisher. Like that sounds great. Uh And I just I just don't want to get lunch with these women. And it's nothing personal. I just think their personalities. I don't think it's sure. poor. I don't think it's poorly drawn. I don't think it's lazy. I just think the personalities just do not gel with somebody. Us. Somebody who is like that is um, remember in when we were watching Sleepless in Seattle, mm-hmm. the lady that Tom Hanks dates that uh, yeah. his kid doesn't like. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're all Jonah right now. <laughs> right. So. I don't necessarily like her, but I would have lunch with her, right? I would actually have lunch with every single person in that film. Okay. Even the people around the dinner table that seem boring, I would still do that. But there's something about the way Nancy Myers shoots these scenes in particular that really turned me off. And I can't, it's, it's not because of the subjects they're talking about. It's really because of the writing. I think it's their personalities are kind of grating because we get a, the second scene where Meryl Streep confesses to having this affair with Alec Baldwin. And these are kind of pointless scenes too, aren't they? No, because Meryl Streep needs to actualize the situation. And the first half of the movie is her dealing with the fact that she's she doing something She actualizes it when she's with herself. Like she closes the door. She's like, no, why am I laughing? The oh, whole, oh, this is so bad. The whole thing is that she needs to tell someone about it. And this is her telling her friends about it. And like when you confess something to your friends, Friends, then it's real. Then it's out there. Then it's a, then it's not something that's like right. under the under the floor. It's, All, it's out there. But I guess nothing 
uh, nothing changes, right? So right. she introduces this concept to her friends. They bash the first instance is about them bashing Alec Baldwin and his his lady wife and then the yeah. second scene is about them being like you go girl you be the the affair right and nothing changes for her except both times to be built up right so that's i, I, so have, nothing I have two points in these no scenes. i know i know i have two points i think i think there's a lot happening i think it's all just introspective character stuff and i just think i can totally understand why it's not for you <laughs> And I'm not saying I. There's a lot of things that aren't for me that I can still enjoy. Though. No, I know, I know. I, and I, it's like I see your point. It doesn't bug me as much as it bugs you. But I totally understand. We don't have to go here anymore. Okay, that's <laughs> you fine. know, that's fine. It's like <laughs> you're like, look, I just don't like Greek food. <laughs> I was like, that's fine. We don't need to go out for Greek food again. Um. So, well, let me make my one defense sure, for that scene. I liked the second scene. And I have a weird quibble, but I, I don't know if it's an if it's an actual intent of the film. Quibbles and bits. Quibbles and bits. We should have a segment called Quibbles <laughs> and right. Bits. All right, welcome to Quibbles and Bits. Quibbles and bits. Quibbles and bits. Quibbles and bits. 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 Quibbles and bits is part of a balanced podcast diet. Please talk to your doctor before listening. Quibbles and bits is for humans, not dogs. Part of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Here's my quibble. <laughs> uh, they Meryl Streep confesses that she's she's having an affair with Alec Baldwin, her ex, which as an affair, the whole, the whole conundrum of the first half is, is what she is doing. Is it quote unquote wrong? And Meryl Streep is struggling with this question of, is what I'm doing a wrong thing? What? That was like, that's the whole point of her going to the therapist. No, she, she wants to know whether it's healthy for her. But she goes to the therapist and she's like, should I be doing this? Is this right or wrong? Tell me if I'm right no, or wrong. No, she says, it. should I do this or should I stop? Right. It's different because she, she knows it's wrong. No, she's struggling with the morality. She's like, I don't know if I should do hey, this. Hey, Meryl, do you know why it's complicated? Because you're making it complicated. Right. No, that's the whole point. And that's what a lot of rom-coms are about. Our sure. characters making selfish decisions that are understandable but also bad decisions. Sure, and I'd be completely fine with that, but there are so many moments in this movie where Meryl Streep is like, oh, crap, uh, I don't know if I should be... Oh, okay, I guess See, I'm do this. See, this is funny, because usually I'm the moral stickler, and I feel like you're the moral stickler I'm not this taking one, a moral like, stance. But no, but you're saying it's very cut and dry, it's wrong, you shouldn't be doing it. Mm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's blasé. Oh, you're saying the conundrum that she's dealing with is boring. Yes. Oh, see, I love the conundrum. Well, okay, so I am not saying that the conundrum that she's dealing with is boring. Those are words that you said and I immediately agreed with. I'm not saying that. Okay. Okay? <laughs> what I'm saying is the way she handles it is boring. The way Nancy Myers creates filmmaking around the situation is boring. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is what I'm saying. Okay. Because I, I think the, the fascination of her like finding fulfillment in her loneliness with her ex and having unsolved questions um, surrounding her ex and kind of being tempted to pose or kind of poke into that and see if there's anything there and also to enjoy it because she hasn't been enjoying her life in that respect for a long time. I think that creates an interesting conundrum. I think this movie doesn't take time to wrestle with that in any real way. No, it's that's not what this movie wants to do in the first place. I, it doesn't have to be serious, but it does. It keeps it keeps trying to. So that's the funny thing about this film is that on the one hand, 
in its design and its aesthetic, mm-hmm. it wants to be a fantasy film. Uh-huh. It wants to be a catalog that you can step into and you can just say, what if I lived in this restoration hardware? <laughs> and what if my house was, see, this house isn't restoration hardware. What is this house that she lives in? It's it's just the most perfect California like estate home with a big lot, with a big garden, with all these things that- yeah, it's, it's, it's Hacienda living. Yeah, but it's it's that fantasy of like, oh, I could just have the perfect house. And yeah, and this is what I'm talking about is if this house felt more real, mm-hmm. I think I would enjoy this movie more. Yeah. Like we we both like Miyazaki, right? Yeah. Miyazaki has really beautiful houses that he draws in his films, but they all feel real because there's like a stain or a drawer that doesn't work or something. But like when when we first get into Meryl's kitchen, she has like um croissants everywhere it's immaculate it's it's just it's gorgeous a, it's a it's a floor it's a stage it's a staged situation right and so we keep being introduced to these conundrums where uh like alec baldwin is like i like you and i just want to explore where this goes and you know i'm, I'm kind of a shitbag but also i you know you love me and we're old best friends and that's a complicated situation mm-hmm. and if you're going to introduce complicated feelings and complicated ideas yet your world is basically a cookie cutter mm-hmm. world it to me it, it lands in this middle ground of bleh. right so it, it's a, it's a tricky thing because i understand what what nancy is trying to craft for the audience is I want to put you to, (laughs) this is a terrible way to put it, but she's like, I want to put you to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) She's hypnotizing us with her world. And I want you to dream for two hours. And that's half the fun of going to the movies in the first place is is dreaming for two hours. I completely agree. And she wants you to dream with this fantasy, but she also wants to have psychological realism as well. Do you ever have a dream where you wake up all of a sudden and like Sarah turns to you and she's like, oh, what'd you dream about? And you're like... Well, it wasn't quite a, it wasn't a nightmare, but it was also not like, it wasn't good. It was just like a, a, a dream mm. and, and it, you know, it, it's unnerving, but it's not bad. Can I tell you the dream I had last night? Yeah, go ahead. I had a dream. Do you ever have these dreams where you're about to have an affair, but in your dream, you're like, wait, I can't have an affair. I'm married. Yeah. <laughs> and then you stop not starting. Oh, wait, having- you, you stop. but like it's always that situation where it's almost a nightmare where it's like whoa if i went through with this potential sex dream then i would have had an affair in my mind you're telling me you don't have sex dreams i have sex dreams also but i have these different oh yeah yeah, okay but i have these different dreams where it's like i'm with some faceless woman and it's not my wife and it's a nightmare where it's like oh your wife's gonna find out yeah you're with this faceless woman it's like Oh, then I won't be with her. And then, <laughs> then I wake up and I'm like, well, nothing happened there, but I avoided that problem. <laughs> so <laughs> the problem that doesn't exist. So yeah, it's which that, is like this. But that's like a halfway nightmare right. where it never mm-hmm. actually was bad. <laughs> well, and in this film, we have Alec Baldwin, right? What what is their conundrum here? He wants to be with his ex-wife, Meryl Streep, because of their tryst in New York. Something reawakens in him and he wants to be with her. Can we can we kind of interrogate what that is? Um what, what do you think? Why do you think he wants to be with Meryl Streep? Because he's he truly is unhappy with Lake Bell. He's unhappy with Lake Bell, and I think he misses connection. He misses yeah. his family, and I think even though we're we're presented with him and her having like a fun time and really great sex, I think what he's missing most is having 
connection that has passion because mm-hmm. it's obvious he doesn't have it with Lake Bell. Yeah, they, whatever relationship they have has fizzled. Yeah, we don't really get too much of it, but we get enough to understand that it's nothing. Yeah, my 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 real problem with this film that is like unequivocal is it was wrong of you to just leave Lake Bell as this kind of nothing antagonist. Right, and they keep like like the kids uh, like Meryl Streep has three kids and uh, one of them Zoe Kazan who we've had on the podcast mm-hmm. already um, not as a guest just in a different in the movie. big sick <laughs> they keep like taking pot shots not not meanly at Lake Bell but they they always deride the like Pedro as being like a little rascal yeah and he is kind of but like he's just a normal kid for the most part like he's a brat in the elevator but then he's like that's it he's not a he's not fun to be around like that in that first scene, but the next time, like he almost catches Alec Baldwin, like ch- cheating on his wife, uh, or like talking to Meryl Streep in the bathroom, and he's just like kind of interrogates him. That's the last crazy scene we have with Pedro. The rest of the time, he's a jewel. Yeah, and that's why Alec Baldwin has second thoughts. Exactly. I I don't know. Like this. That's I guess. It's like death by a thousand swords with me in this one, or a thousand cuts. A thousand swords would be horrible. I just got this fantasy like fight you'd be in, Kelly versus the thousand swords. It's like your Indiana Jones story. How do you kill a sword though? Oh man, it'd be like the singing sword in Three Amigos. <laughs> oh, I was thinking the singing sword in um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Alec Baldwin is having this crisis of. He, he doesn't connect and he wants his old life back. He thinks that he can make it work now. Mm-hmm. And, but they're testing the waters by having an affair, mm-hmm. right? Which he seems morally fine with and Meryl Streep feels morally gray with. She's, well, that's the conflict of the first hour is her figuring out whether or not she should be doing it at all. Right. Not necessarily be- like if, from because the, it's bad to But her, the classic but screenwriter it's... question of what's the film's conflict? Right. And you, the thing is, you hate this conflict. You bring it up all the time. I th- I know, and I think this movie is one of the only movies that actually makes me like sympathize and be like, I get it. I get why you're dealing with this. And I, I can't remember, there was some sitcom where that came up as well. Oh, it's in Friends, where Rachel sleeps with Barry in season one. Okay. Oh, yeah. And, Her ex. And it was one of those episodes where it's like, you know, maybe I'm a little harsh towards people who have like these situations and see i have no moral objection to this i i mean it's it's not an honest thing to do and so on in that regard i do but i get having feelings for your ex and trying to find solace slash if not closure maybe even like reopening that door because i've done that before yeah i totally understand and that's what the movie also says it's like it's not that bad since we used to be married for 16 years it's like I can see your I can see your psychology. I don't I think this movie that. even interrogates whether it's bad or not. I th- I think it does. I think it has Hollywood ethics written all over it where the movie for an hour is questioning whether or not the thing that she's doing is good in the first place. I think I, it's I think it's the studio execs being like, "Yo, you can't just, you know, openly say, yo, affairs are good." You know, you got to you got to have a you got to have some kind of moral quandary. I guess it. so, but the I I think if that was the case, at the end, she would say something like, we did this dishonestly, and that's why like, this isn't going to work out. No, they paid for it. They paid for it emotionally. They, they paid for it 
No, they paid for it because Alec Baldwin came into the room when she was talking to her new boyfriend. Well, I know, and this it's they paid for it emotionally in the setting of a rom com where there's not going to be huge traumatic fallout. It's just going to have some emotional fallout where the thing that she had with Steve Martin falls apart because he learns that she was sleeping with her ex-husband while she was dating him, and she has to pick up the pieces and rebuild what they have, and that's how the movie ends. And that's what the third act is focused on. It's that classic Sid Field stuff where, okay, now protagonist has to go pick up pieces from fallout that they caused. And that's what the third act is all about, is her having that like wrap-up conversation with Alec Baldwin. It's her having that, I'm sorry to Steve Martin. It's her having that, I'm sorry to my children. It's her having the dark night of the soul swimming, like sleeping in front of the swimming pool. Sure, but the dark night of the soul is like 4 p.m. Sure. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like, it's not going to get super serious. It's not going to get that hard to right. watch. I guess, but like other movies that we've had on this podcast feel darker even if we don't get to those depths like Notting Hill mm-hmm. or let's take the movie that we just watched a couple of weeks ago Crazy Stupid Love mm-hmm. like I feel like if Picara and Riqua those were the directors for that film it was a <laughs> it was a dual director film we didn't talk about it during the podcast but I talked about it in my intro okay anyway I think they after the fight where um we have like is basically what happens in this film that like splits everybody apart is Meryl Streep has rejected Alec Baldwin. But after she does that, he tells, basically confesses to his wife that, you know, he is falling in love with his ex. And so she kicks him out. Mm -hmm. And then he comes over and weasels his way back into uh, their family life, which I'm sympathetic for, for all of them, because they're a family and there's something about having a family that is not only nostalgic, but something you want to reclaim, right? And so mm-hmm. there's something both beautiful and a little bit dirty, but kind of real about this situation. Mm-hmm. And then she, but Meryl Streep is still at the same time, like when Alec Baldwin comes over and ingratiates himself back into the family for like a couple of days because he's kicked out of the house. Um, Meryl Streep is having a Skype conversation with um, with Steve Martin, who is unendingly charming in this movie. I mm-hmm. think he's great. Then Basically, he sees Alec Baldwin naked because Alec Baldwin comes into the room naked and it causes a kerfuffle. And then all the kids come in and find their dad with their mom and they've been divorced for years. Mm-hmm. Okay, And this is the real crux of it because the kids find them together and then <laughs> Alec Baldwin is so oblivious that he's like, Why is everyone crying? Why isn't this good news? Because we're still getting over the divorce. It's so writery to me. It it fell so flat for me that there was nothing. It didn't feel like anybody did anything that anybody could actually be mad at them for. So when all the kids were leaving, it felt like bullshit. Like and when like it, it did, it, it felt like this family had a perfect life with no problems, and their biggest problem were that their parents decided to sleep together for a second. I I think you're being willingly ignorant of some aspects to this film. Okay. I think there's a lot of scenes in this film that shows they're not used to the whole family, the classic nuclear family being in the same room together. No, you're right. And when the dad comes over, they question it a lot and they're like, wow, this feels really great. And but they also say it's also weird. Yeah, it's weird, but great. 
right? Yeah, but I I don't think it's like the parent trap where it's like this is all we ever wanted. It's more like we're we're still processing the trauma that you you threw us by leaving sure. us ten and years ago. Divorce is a hard thing to cope with. Mm-hmm. It felt gimmicky for like the kids to go outside and look at each other in the car and be super mad and then drive off in a huff. It it felt like they were trying to add more drama than was actually there. I mean, I, I to I, me, I, I I guess that's a subjective thing because I I bought it because it, I would totally understand their reaction to it just being this is weird. It's weird and they don't know how to feel about it and they don't know what they truly want because they spent the last 10 years of their life working towards finding some kind of peace where he's not in their family. So and imagine, now he's just throwing a wrench into that work, emotional work that they've been working on. Imagine you, Alex, and Megan, your siblings, mm-hmm. spending time in a bed together after you know dealing with parents' trauma yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the other thing is they're clearly closer than most families. These siblings are very close. Right. They clearly. Are. They are. I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's a utopia... It is on display. It, it is well, it's a utopia where if all of these people are so close, but the one thing we're expected to believe is that Meryl Streep and her husband aren't close. Yeah, and and it's this is very much just the suspension of disbelief is pushed to its edge because she wants us to believe in this utopianism all across the board, perfect house, perfect job, perfect kids except this one problem with the ex-husband. Everything else is perfect. I've got the best friends, and life is never like that. You've got you've got flaws and dents uh-huh. and chinks in the armor everywhere in your life. But uh-huh. what this movie is doing is saying, shh, 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 no, we're not going to worry about that. We're not going to worry about any of that. And it wants to be a dream. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I've, I've, but I, I, I'm the saying, more I talk to you about it, the less I like it. You don't have to like it, but do you see why other people would? No, <laughs> no, because work with me, work no, with no, me. No, no, because I, I think it's one of those things where it maybe it re solidifies imaginations of it's kind of like an American dream kind of way where it's like, oh, one day that like kind of perfection can work for me too. No, no, I don't. I don't think any of this no? is. I don't think any of this is realistic. I think this is. I think well, that's that's but what I, I'm saying. I know, and I I think when people went to the movies in the 30s, it was always about rich people because people were sick of being poor. Uh huh. They wanted to see their lives not poor. They wanted to transport their lives into sure. something else. Same thing here. People want to transport themselves into a nice, rich lifestyle. And it's better than the holiday because you have people like Kate Winslet who are just good people that would fit in a Miyazaki film. See, the most, but not in this movie. The These most, people wouldn't fit in a Miyazaki film. The most realistic part of this movie is Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin basically having sex in a hotel. Like, Because there's this great scene where they meet in the middle of the day after she goes to see her therapist and asks her therapist to give her a yes or no answer, whether she should be doing this and whether it's healthy. And he's like, sure. I you let you give your point. Cause okay. I interrogated Sarah about this and I have interesting. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think I honestly think that like most of his reaction is pretty like solid therapy. Mm-hmm. I think he was trying to give, let her give herself th- her answer. Right. But 
also at the same time, I was like, come on, dude. No. Okay. Well, let's get into it. I asked Sarah about this. I'm like, would you ever like explain the situation? I'm like, would you ever answer a yes or no? Or would you ever give like a hard line answer a a patient is looking Uh for? And she's like, no, never. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? She's like, no, I can't ever do that. I can let them kind of glide towards what they're thinking. I think he does give an answer is my my, my thinking. I think his whole thing is whatever's happening right now, you're opening up to me and you're making progress on yourself. So I'm going to just enable you to keep going, but I'm not going to say this is objectively good for you. I don't think he gives her the objective thought. I think he just gives her the I need you to keep walking down this path because it's it's helping you figure stuff out about yourself, and that's the whole point of therapy. Yeah. I don't think he enables no, no, anything I, I, to help you. I'm, I'm not trying to harp on this scene. Yeah. Okay. I, I had a problem when I watched it, and then Sarah was like talking me down. She's like, actually, that was correct. That was how it's supposed to go. The scene that I was getting to was in the hotel mm-hmm. where um, basically – and this is, I'm going to eventually rewrite the movie with this scene as mm-hmm. well, because it's one of the best scenes in the movie. And Meryl Streep has decided she's going to lead herself down this thorny path of an affair with her ex-husband. Um, even though she knows it's wrong, she it might be best for her right now. And so she, she has a tryst with him at an, a hotel and they're about to get down to business. And it's a really sweet moment because she actually becomes vulnerable and like takes off her clothes in front of him. And he does the same thing. And, you know, I really like them interacting together mm-hmm. so much so that I'm almost like maybe you two should be together right. at the end of this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, totally. Then he has like not a heart attack, but like he has an he, episode. He has an episode where he faints and um, they have to call a doctor in. And the funny like subplot to this scene is that John Krasinski and her oldest daughter are getting married soon. And this is, happens to be the hotel where they're making, they're meeting their wedding planner and mm-hmm. he sees this, but his, his fiance doesn't. And it's really funny because John Krasinski is like doing the gym thing and he's trying to save a situation from blowing up. Yeah. And it's really good. And later on in the movie, Meryl Streep finds she knows that that John Krasinski knows. Mm-hmm. And oh man, their dynamic of like respecting your mother in law or future mother in law. He calls her boss. It's great. <laughs> I, I totally get it. It's so palpable. It is really good. And like this is another one of those truer moments for me. And I mean, even later on in the movie, John Krasinski ends up like smoking with (laughs) the scene where he where where Alec Baldwin shotguns um, smoke into John Krasinski's mouth is so weird left field. It's so fucking weird, but it's fun, too. Anyway, I if I'm going to rewrite the movie, will you let me rewrite the movie here? Go rewrite. You write your first draft with your heart. You rewrite with your head. What I want to do is go find Nancy Myers in her room, and she's like got sweat pouring down her face, and she's like, "Yes, yes." And then John Krasinski sees them, and I'm like, I want to go up and whisper in her ear and say, "Make the rest of this movie about the wedding. Do a rewrite, and have this all leading to John Krasinski's and his wife's wedding." Oh, so you're like David Tennant in Daredevil. Or not Daredevil, but in Jessica Jones. Yes, yeah, where I can make her do whatever I want. Clean up this mess. Mark your faces. <laughs> but um, 
I think that this whole movie should have been that the culmin the climax should have been their wedding. Yeah, I think everything should have been leading up to the wedding. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, because I think that John Krasinski and the parents have such a charming dynamic. For one, I think that I would have liked to see the sister invested in her parents' relationship a little bit more, and so that. Like I could see her more heartbroken when they're like tempting her with getting back together again. Mm -hmm. And then I want her to have questioned the marriage when she knows that John Krasinski's hiding something from her. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like there was a whole big subplot that might have gotten thrown out in a draft or something where this movie could have had far more substance to it and still lived in fantasy land like yep. you could have had these rich people have a rich wedding with their rich kids that have no problems and that could have been great but i i think it would have given it more more for everybody to care about like because if they fuck up part of the wedding with their yeah like then they with are hurting their, their kids yeah and I don't think they hurt their kids here their kids just find them not having done something and then they basically confess and say oh we have been having an affair it has no dramatic punch to it okay that's uh, that's where I'd rewrite the movie the word I remembered it's conceited this film is conceited <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and like you can still like this movie but you got to meet me and say. We we all have to agree this this film as a personality is conceited because it's just so pretty and so rich where it's just so blissfully unaware watched, of what a real life is. We watched Steve Martin and and this is a great date too. Steve Martin and Meryl Streep basically get high and go to a party for her son and then dance. And then they go back to her bakery and they make croissants, which croissants take a long time to make. Uh, Robin was like, wait a second. Croissants take really fucking long to rise. <laughs> I don't know about this. But they eat croissants and they have a kiss. And I like it. But like that whole sequence of them just getting there and making the croissants, it's just like them playing around with dough. And I'm like, come on, guys. Like we got this movie's two hours long and it doesn't need to be oh, two hours see, long. I, I had fun with it, that. No, I had fun with it, too. But what I'm saying is this movie is worse off for spending too much time on prettiness. Oh, I mean, Nancy Myers, I think out of all the auteurs in our collection is one of the most indulgent ones. Her she, films are two hours to, long. She has to be the most indulgent one. Because The Holiday is two hours. Something's Gotta Give is two hours. These movies on average are 90 minutes, and she always takes an extra half an hour to tell her story. But I, I like that in some films. Right. And in these, I think if you're going to take the time, I think she fills it up with fluff rather than giving it substance. Yeah. No, I think that's by design. Uh, yeah, and I think it's it's a poor choice. Uh, So... I'm going to rewrite the movie. Then we need to take a break. Then I have a question for you. And can I, instead of a trope, can I can I ask you can I ask you a question? And that'll be our trope talk. Sure. Okay. Here's how I'll rewrite the movie. You write your first draft. You're hot. You rewrite your head. Near the end of the movie, Lake Bell figures out that Alec Baldwin is at least in love with his wife. Still off screen. Well, no, no she figures out at the party, but they yeah. have their conversation about it off screen. Right. What I wanted from the film is for their for Lake Bell and Alec Baldwin's marriage to blow up. And I wanted a confrontation between Lake Bell and Meryl Streep. Because they get at this, where Meryl Streep is stoned, and she's like, you and I are Date, like... You we married the same guy. We're like the same person, or we're very similar, or there's mm -hmm. something that bonds us. And 
they could have taken that and gone to the next step and say, okay, you guys are bonded. Now you've both been wrecked by one another, right? by affairs, and have this actual confrontation where Meryl Streep can go to Lake Bell and say, you hurt our family. You hurt my life. You caused damages to my life. And, and then for Lake, Lake Bell to throw it right and back And Lake Bell's her. like, you did the same thing. I had a life with him. We were going to have children together. And like they could have had a really good heart-to-heart. And they had... Because, because the thing that they need to get to if they have that moment is, well, who actually did this was the man that we both love. Yeah, and... Because he's the one who is kind of wrecking his own families, which is us. Right. But you could also have said something that was also still fair and be like... Love is a choice, and it's a choice that you make every day. Mm -hmm. And one day he chose to not love you and love me. Right. And I mean, I feel like what we never really understood about Alec Baldwin is what went wrong in their relationship. Well, he he has a nice conversation where he he has, he vents this. Well, he says, I worked too much and maybe you needed something else. No, Uh, but he's talking, well, I don't know what made him stray from Meryl Streep in the first place. Right. I feel like whatever that is, it's probably the same thing. And maybe it's not, but like I if if he's going to do this thing and we are going to really interrogate like why he's going back to this, we need to know what his fear is. What is this thing that makes him attach himself to these like family lives and then leave those family lives. Like th- this is this is a question that I have. I don't need the specific answers. Maybe I understand it more not because I'm closer to getting a divorce, <laughs> but I I at least just kind of get more of this sense of I don't need to know what. I just need to know that. I need to know that you had a myriad of problems, and I'm getting a few of the greatest hits of those yeah, problems. Yeah, I, I, I guess I don't need to know. It's just it felt like this. It, to me, it felt like this movie was getting so close to that moment, and then it shied away from it. Yeah, so I would have liked that conversation between the two women who were scorned because I wanted to talk about the scene with her and her lady friends, and they're like celebrating this victory of vengeance. Yeah, that she's sleeping with. I keep wanting to say Jack Donaghy, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> I mean, he's very similar. He always wears suits. Uh, The problem I have with the scene, and it's one of those things where it's it's not that when we stumbled into parties that our mothers were having that they had this problem, because they were never like this, but the scene is wrathful. Yeah. They are taking delight in the destruction of others. Right. And it would be one thing if, like, you threw wine in somebody's face at a dinner and you're like yeah you got her but if it's like no i'm wrecking her fucking life that's different yeah and so it's it's a part of the film that gets so close to real housewives of thousand oaks california yes yes, that is what i was feeling and it's just kind of like nancy you don't do this. This isn't you. Like, this doesn't come up in Something's Gotta Give. It doesn't come up in The Holiday. And it's only in these two scenes where it's like, this is catty. This it makes me just... wonder what Nancy Meyer's life is like right now. <laughs> but it's only those two scenes in all of her film work that her her dialogue and her characters are catty. And I was like... And I expositional. Yeah, I just don't want to be around these people when they're like this. And the only voice of reason is Mary Kay Place. And the other character's like, oh, <laughs> like like she is the legitimate voice of reason who she's the only character says but it is kind of wrong and i think it would have made that this scene of the friends okay is if we actually followed through i wanted her to have like a decompress with them at least like something where 
they're like, so are, are you getting married to him? Like I wanted a moment where they weren't rah, 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 but they left the party sad. Yeah. Uh, the only other scene I would have rewritten is when Alec Baldwin goes to the spank bank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> oh, <laughs> that's funny. He calls Meryl Streep. And I honestly thought... I thought he was going to have phone sex with her. And I thought he was going to get help from her so yeah. he could give the specimen. That but... would have been funny. <laughs> there were so many parts like that where it was like, you could use this for comedy. Come on, we're already rated R. <laughs> Let's take a break. And then when we come back, I'm going to ask you a question. We've kind of established that Nancy Meyers' house style is at worst conceited, at middling utopianism, and at best a escapist dream oh actually i have a really good word for this Uh uh-huh okay oh come on (laughs) continue well i'm glad that you have such a pessimistic attitude because i wanted to ask you i wanted you to do a compare and contrast essay for me sure i would like you to compare the utopianism of nancy meyer's film all of her film work Mm -hmm. to the utopianism of gilmore girls and more specifically stars hollow okay Because let's establish, Stars Hollow, as portrayed in Gilmore Girls, and the characters that inhabit them, and the socioeconomics that dictate it, Mm -hmm. is a total fantasy, and a total utopia, Mm -hmm. and it can't exist in the world that we live in, as it is. Well, I'll tell you the difference, okay? Okay. The difference here is we're watching a movie about Emily Gilmore. And Lorelai Gilmore. No, 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 no. Oh, this is just Emily Gilmore's life. Yes. Okay. We're watching a movie about Emily Gilmore's life. If Emily had cheated on... Why can't I think of his name all of a sudden? Richard! Richard. (laughs) If Emily had cheated on Richard, that's the movie we're watching. Um, Which actually does happen, almost, right? uh, Something. Gilmore guys, give us a call. (laughs) (laughs) In Gilmore Girls, you have Stars Hollow, which is a small Connecticut small town right where everybody seems like fairly middle class very friendly everybody knows each other everybody knows each other lorelei luke luke owns a diner slash hardware store slash hardware store which he lives above he's not doing great right but he he's got that whole corner carved out for himself right but lorelei has this huge quasi not a victorian but it's like a big three four bedroom two-story that she somehow bought as a single mother who took no charity from her rich family that she paid for. Well, while... she's still well. She's still paying off the house. We know okay, this. Okay, but come on. No, where no, no, did, no, no, no. How I'm... did she ever afford that house ever? Okay, I, I'm not going to say it's like not fantasy because there is an element there. But on on the degree of believability, I can much rather see this strong, independent person who. Ends up- she clawed her way to getting that house because that is Lorelai Gilmore. She's like, I am getting that house. I, I I believe that she not only knew the people who lived there. Oh, she must have just like bribed them and was like, look, this house is my house. You, right. you have to understand. She this. was so dogged that she was able to like and, and fast talking that yeah. she was able to convince them like, hey, as soon as. In fact, what probably happened is Taylor knew knows all the people who like die in this town. Like, there's something about like Taylor knows as soon as somebody dies and when a house goes on the market, and she's like, "You need to tell me when they die because I'm going to swoop in and spend this like twenty thousand dollars that I've saved up and put away." Because remember, she doesn't know how she's going to pay for Rory's college. It's because she spent it all on that house for them. Sure, um, and I bet she bought it when Rory was like five years old or something, and she's just so- been. 
We'll call Gilmore Girls utopian realism. Also, I'm going to say that the 90s was an ex- like an extremely weird time where you could make a lot more money than housing cost. Right. But w- is, would you agree that that's the, that's the setting? It's utopian realism where it's like, okay, this place doesn't exist, but it could. Yes, but this this movie is like if utopian realism was given an extra million dollars a year. Right. I don't salary. think I don't think Nancy Myers is utopian realism. I think it's just utopianism. I I don't. Well, you're using this word utopianism. I think it's um, not in the sense of I, I don't want to high li- classism. <laughs> right. It's, it's I, like this like this because utopianism would mean to me that like like if we met somebody out in the real world that they would be having just as good of a life for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't meet anybody in the real world in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Everybody is either an, like, it's basically an architect or they make a ton of money so, or they have a rich parent. Like, I don't want to make you like like a Bernie bro dick, but it's almost as if, as if there was some kind of like classist, I don't know, like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Dis- no, I'm not you saying you are. If you, if you I'm su- not saying if, you are. If you support Bernie Sanders, it doesn't mean that you're a Bernie bro. No, I know, I know. I'm so- <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Whoa, 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 Covey. Hey, whoa, Covey. Covey, that's not what I'm hey, saying. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, hey, 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 where are you going? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, 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 what's going on? What's going on? But I am saying there is almost a disdain because they're wealthy. It's it's not a disdain because they're wealthy. I love watching Regency era wealth. I do not mind being in Emily Gilmore's house, okay? Mm-hmm. But there is something about this movie that feels oblivious about it, mm-hmm. where like you use the word naive. Yeah, and I think I think everyone needs to at least agree to that. Like right. that's my most softball criticism. At least Gilmore Girls talks all the time about who has more money or not. Yeah, which, Lorelai is always driving home. It's like you don't understand Emily Gilmore. You I am, don't have cash. Yeah, I I am not rich like you, and I'm not saying that Emily Gilmore or uh, Lorelai Gilmore is poor necessarily Mm -hmm. but i also you know she she's comfortable as she is but she's not these people these people are dealing with a problem in the same way as regency era people deal with problems but with less interesting constrictions Mm -hmm. because basically meryl streep owns her own business is a wealthy person could go out and date anytime she wants she just for some reason hasn't (laughs) <laughs> because she said she got really got over the divorce um, four years into it, as right. she describes to Steve. She um, said she Martin. dated some other guy for eight months. It didn't work out. Yeah. And maybe it's hard for her for many reasons, like, um, you know, breakups or divorces can follow you around for years, just a monkey on your back. She's been going to therapy for eight years, right? Mm-hmm. And the classism in this movie, like if, if you're saying that I am a little classist against the rich people in it, it's... It's less that they're rich that I have a problem with. It's that their problems do not haven't come close to equating with mine ever mm-hmm. in this film. Right. And I, that's why the reason I'm going to bat for this film is that the film kind rich of... Rich lover. <laughs> oh, he's so... I'd rather not. He's so... He's so... So what? He's so rich. By heavens, Lizzie, what a snob you are. Objecting to poor Mr. Darcy because of his wealth. But it's why I think people go to this movie is because the majority of people watching this film aren't in that socioeconomic class. It's people like you and me. Well, I love watching, uh, like, let's say two weeks notice. Uh-huh. 
What do we have in two weeks' notice? Well, Hugh Grant is absurdly rich in that, and that's the point. Uh, well, yeah, but what do we have in two weeks' notice? We have Sandra Bullock. We have she a has, comparison, right? Yeah, she she's one of the everymen. Now let's talk about uh, Pride and Prejudice, another movie about uh, you know middle class people who are pitted against wealthy high class society, right? Yeah, that's what makes it interesting to me. If if we're just hanging out, like even a movie like Arthur, which is just about a yep. rich bon vivant, but you're saying is still interesting to me because it has like there's some fun to it, right? Now the problem with this film is it's a bunch of rich people complaining about problems that they make for themselves in a in no fun ways. Like the fun that you have in this movie is middling at best. And if you're going to like put me in a movie with just a bunch of super rich people, at some point in time, one of them needs to like be having so much fun with me that I get to experience a little bit of what it is to live their life and like lack care. But this movie is just about caring how hard the problems are that they're making for themselves. And so them being rich in addition to that makes it a little sour. Okay. But sorry I, for the tirade. I think though. That the movie succeeds the way it does because is because whether Nancy Myers is aware of the reality of it or not, is that this film plays on the same fantasy psychology as bodice rippers, as romance novels, as the Fabio on the cover. As well, generally bodice rippers not, have, have a scullery made. Not literally. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is generally like those play on the fantasy of putting a character you can relate to in the film. And this movie has none of those. It's this, but it's, it's the, it's the fantasy. Uh, it's the, not the high fantasy, but it's the elevated fantasy of that. But it's also the traditional film fantasy of the 1930s comedies. Of, well, you're talking about the thin man right now. Uh, right. We have we have a couple really rich people. One of them's a detective. They're very fast talkers. They have crazy parties with a lot of weird people. They mix it up with people of high and low class. Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting plot going on. Mm-hmm. Now, to me, that makes it fine to hang out with rich people for that amount of time and also get to like live in this lavish apartment for a while with mm-hmm. a cool dog, right? Stop right there. Okay. That's all Nancy Myers ever wanted to do. She just wanted you to feel, she just wants you to feel like you own that house. She wants you to feel like you own that garden. She wants you to feel like you have that boyfriend in Steve Martin. She wants you to feel like you have that ex in Alec Baldwin. I guess so. But to me, that is the very edge of escapism where you start, you step like off of the bridge of escapism and you step into like a patch of roses where each of their thrones are poisoned and you're like, Oh, ouch. Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's so indulgent that. Yeah. It's almost pornographic. Like I don't want to, but at least at at the end of porn, you're generally (laughs) orgasming. And at the, at the the end of this movie, at at the end of this movie, I'm not given 20 bucks. (laughs) Like make me, make me a horror. Nancy Myers and make me I'm sorry make me a sex worker because we're gonna be PC here and make me a sex worker and give me money at the end so I feel like I've gotten a little bit out of it so I think the reason (laughs) no I I think that's all extremely valid because if the fantasy doesn't take off for you then the film falls apart and the illusion because it's always an illusion 
just totally breaks down. And the illusion holds up in the holiday because it's like, you know what? Kate Winslet, Jack Black, off on this vacation in Los Angeles. This is nice. I really like this. And and it's a vacation is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and you escape for a few hours. Right. But also, like again, we're given dichotomy. And I think that's one thing that this movie lacks for me is dichotomy. Say more. In, in order of richness, you have Cameron Diaz, then probably either Jack Black or... Jula. Yeah. They're, they're like kind of similar. Yeah, they, they can make yeah. it in Hollywood. They're doing well. Um, and then below that, you have Kate Winslet, right? Mm-hmm. And Kate Winslet doesn't have a car that she drives back and forth from London each day. She takes the tube. She has a job, but it's something where she... She's she's not a, like a rich person. She just lives in a super nice place because Nancy Myers constructed her world that way. But but and, this is the thing. I feel like you need some kind of middle class uh, avatar, or else you can't buy into a story about again, all upper class people. Again, it's not that. I'm saying that the movie's not interesting enough to make it that way. So, what would make the upper class people interesting enough for you? Well, if um, they were dealing with more interesting problems. If the plot was better and if the but writing you're saying, was better. you're saying because they're not facing any like logistical problems that middle class people have, then no, any kind of emotional problems- No, no, no. You're problems, putting those upper... words in my mouth. No, but but I'm saying for me, there's plenty of emotional there's... rawness that they're all processing, they're all dealing with here, I, but well, they I just think, don't have any other real life problems I think some of the problems that they're processing are interesting. This movie doesn't make me feel them very much. But you're being rather flippant about their emotional problems because they have so many other things that is taken care of for them. No, I'm not. You're saying that. I'm saying that that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing you say you're kind of writing mm. off their problems because no, they have all no, these things. No, not because. I'm writing off their problems. I'm, I'm not even writing off their problems. I'm saying that this movie doesn't succeed very well in making me feel those problems. Okay. Okay. This is what I've been saying from the beginning. Then why are you harping on their class? You brought up their class. <laughs> but that's what you keep bringing in is like you're saying I need some I need some dichotomy here. No, I'm saying that it adds interest to a plot like this. They, these characters in and of themselves to me aren't living interesting enough lives nor are their emotional problems interesting or exciting enough for me to watch for a couple of hours to be wooed into this life of escapism that you're talking about. What would make their lives more interesting? Well, I already said how I'd rewrite the movie a little bit. Yeah, if, but what about, what could you change about their situation? Well, I, for one, I think the, the, the script needed a big rewrite. Mm-hmm. And with a smarter written script, you have more interesting people in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so part of it, like I said, the characters themselves aren't, I, I, I think that Steve Martin is a nice guy, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Alec Baldwin is more interesting than Meryl Streep, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. he I think he has... I don't think he's a better person, or that's not what I'm saying, but I think drawn as a character, he's more interesting. Mm-hmm. And mainly that's because he's upfront with his his wants, and he has a little... He, he's a little bit of a... Um, he's, he's a little bit of a, a prick, which <laughs> makes him interesting to me because he yeah. he he wants what he wants and he's willing to like go after it in an unhealthy way but that still makes him an interesting character whereas Meryl Streep is like that's great oh you kiss me oh that's going to put me in a place where I'm I'm okay and may- no no but yes and it's like I don't care yes 
Yes, yes. yes. No, 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 no. But what the problems that they're actually dealing with here are simply that Meryl Streep is lonely, mm-hmm. so she has sex with her ex, mm-hmm. and she can't stop having sex with her ex. Mm-hmm. That's the only problem, and she has made it for herself, right? So she's her antagonist in this film. Yeah, yeah, she's her own worst enemy. If you take a movie like uh, like The Thin Man, we're also solving a murder, right? Mm-hmm. People show up with guns. That's what this movie needed. I don't know. This this movie needed something a little bit more intriguing. Like there there were multiple points of time where Robin was like, uh, like, well, I mean, a, akin to the the if you're gonna have a romantic comedy, what are we missing? Hijinks, right? Mm-hmm. Because at a certain point in time, she and she keeps missing this date with, or not a date, but she keeps missing appointments with Steve Martin. And forgetting about them. And so kind of his recompense, even though she doesn't bring it up, she makes him dinner. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Alec Baldwin is spying on them from a window and then falls over at mm-hmm. one point in time into the bushes. And it's like, okay, I guess that's a laugh. But why not have it be more interesting? Like you could do more with the hijinks in that moment. I don't know what it is, but it's like he's actually snuck into the house and he has to hide as they're walking around the house. Or... Or, like you were saying, you vied for this, Meryl Streep, like, helping him make sperm for his wife. Yeah. Like, these are interesting things that I feel like were left on the table. And if you're just going to give me rich people problems, at least make them interesting. But then it's not escapism. Yes, it is. I don't. I, I want to be caught in hijinks. So. I don't think so. I don't. As, I, you're saying escapism is I'm saying perfect. Bring, I'm saying bringing up baby is not escapism. I'm saying bringing up baby is hijinks for an hour and a half, just hijink after hijink after hijink, and it's it's really fun. Well, it's, but I don't transport myself in the life of Catherine Hepburn in that film. Well, maybe this is where we differ because. I like, let's say I'm reading Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. To me, that is escapism sometimes. Yeah. Because yeah. I want to be on an adventure in Middle yeah, Earth. Yeah, you're, you're transported. Now, do you want to be in this situation where you're cheating with your ex husband? No, but that's. So that's, that's what I'm no, talking no, no, about. No, 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 no. That's catharsis. Catharsis is. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it is. Because you're. You, what good art is, uh-huh. is you're coming to the circumstance that it draws. And you're projecting yourself and you're projecting your situation into it. Okay. So I'm not saying, oh, I want to go through the experience of cheating on my spouse. No, no, no. But if there's something relatable to it, I can project that relatability onto it and I can let the That's resolu- I can let the resolution play out for me so that I can have some resol- resolution in myself. So what's escapism to you then? Because well, maybe this isn't escapism. That's that's why I'm saying that's the tough thing about this film, and that's why it doesn't get an A for me, is that it's trying to have its cake and eat it too, where it's trying to have psychological realism, and it's also trying to have just fluffy escapism. That's more. What you know? What movie? That's more Hitch. That's it, more Hitch, where the stakes are so low. Right. That, sure. A, a movie that does this well, though. Mm-hmm. I really think a movie that does this well is Notting Hill. It's our yeah. first movie on our list, right? The escapism is, what if you could date a celebrity? What if you just ran into a celebrity and you had an almost date moment, but then later on they actually wanted to date you? That's an escapist idea, right? Yeah. Where it's a, a what if. But then like the realism of that is her having to deal with her actual problems that happen in her life, where this movie says, actually, it's it's not all fantasy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, th- there's there's more to it than that. What this movie says almost immediately is 
there's this beautiful world. Put yourself in this beautiful world. But these people got problems too. Mm -hmm. And the problems just are nowhere near something that I... Like, I can connect to the one problem, okay? The one problem of being attracted to somebody that you know you shouldn't be attracted to. Mm -hmm. And going along with it is something that is poisonous but sometimes makes you feel good for the short term that's something i can connect to but it can't just be that Mm -hmm. and that's that's i guess the reason why i give this i would rather watch to all the boys i love before than this film okay well that's why again i'm not giving it an a i'm giving it a b a b yeah and, and so I'm, this is right up with like um, set it up for you. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather watch set it up. Set it up was way better than this. Well, I think I think we've made it very clear in the past uh, hour or so that I'm <laughs> I'm very much into what this film is doing. But I'm not going to say that what Nancy Myers here has achieved something that is done well. I still had a, I just had a good time, and I understand mm. the two things that she's doing works, but doesn't work super well because I do like the conflict that she's conjured i like the world that she's made up for me i think it's ridiculous i think it's absolutely ridiculous this this escapist fantasy that she's conjured of saying you're a bakery owner but you also have this giant garden and this giant house and you can just fly to new york city and come back and that it's not going to affect your credit whatsoever all your kids love you and the worst thing about it is that they want to have a party with their friends without you oh no so oh no it's the same same thing as the holiday where it's just i'm just getting a version of a woman's fantasy and i'm just game to learn more i just want to learn what excites you and what makes you happy and what you dream about and what's perfect for you and the problem with nancy myers is you can afford all this shit but (laughs) well the problem with this is like her her the like what excites her and what makes her happy in this movie tell me tell me what that is all the scenes with Alec Baldwin, mm-hmm. the chance encounter at the bar, the him coming over to her house a few days later and all the dialogue that they have with each other, the things that he says to her, I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. when it comes to initiating sex, I'm, I'm just going to generalize, guys don't are not as verbal, just generally. And we see very verbal verbiose men uh that to initiate sex and i feel like you're talking alec baldwin yeah yeah i feel like all the scenes that he is seducing her for lack of better words he's talking her through he's talking her into it not that he's like convincing her but he's i think he is convincing her. yeah but he's kind of sweeping her off her feet with his words and for me, that kind of says to to me what a woman is looking for. What? I, okay, you're, you're saying this these woman, words like this okay, woman. Thank you. <laughs> and i I like to just I like that psychological aspect to the film. I is enjoy that, that psychological aspect as well. It's not realistic. It's more fantastic. No, I think it is realistic. I don't think that's, that's not the escapism. I don't. Part for no, me. I don't think men are just that good. I don't think guys are just like that. It feels much more bodice ripper dialogue. Not not literally like Have you ever ri- been talked into sex? <laughs> Kelly, I'm a guy. We don't need to get talked into it. We just get into it. I have definitely been talked into sex. 
and but this is this is romance dialogue. This isn't like let's bone dialogue. It's no, let's, I let's know, have a romantic. That's, that's what I'm talking thing. about. Yeah, and, I, I just didn't want to go into details on the no, podcast. No, but I think in this movie, the romantic dialogue feels more like a fantasy version of how men are than a realistic version of what men are like. Mm, I and, don't. And, I disagree. In a, in a way that um, that Nora Ephron wouldn't write men like this. That this is not how Billy Crystal comes off in When Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally, for me, is a far more realistic portrayal of how men can be. Not all men, I know. I'm never generalizing. I don't want to make it that this is all how men do. But I will say there's something feels more real in a Nora Ephron film. Tom Hanks, Billy Crystal, and Tom Hanks again. (laughs) And you've got mail, Sleepless in Seattle. The way that Tom... Hanks deals with Jonah, the way that he deals with Joanna, the way that he deals with uh, all these people. It feels like just a guy being honest and real. Mm -hmm. Alec Baldwin in this movie feels like a woman's fantasy version of how they want men to be like. Oh. This woman. Not, 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 not as a. I I hear what you're saying. Yeah. um, For me, he just read as this is another character. And he is another man. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, he is just a character who acts like this. He's not an ideal. He's not a fantasy. He's just another character. So and you didn't is... get the Jude Law just, like, delivering the, like, beautiful no. lines? No. To me, this guy had his flaws. He was just up front with them. And he is verbiose and sometimes says the right thing and sometimes says the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. I really want to put a stamp and say yes on yours, but That's to fine. me, I just read him as a normal dude. Okay. Well, well, not a normal dude. He's just he is the character that they laid him out to be. Jack, one, Jack Adler. The one actor I was disappointed in in this film was Steve Martin. Really? Yeah. And I was disappointed in what Nancy Myers did with him because I feel like she. You didn't like his high face where he like his eyes disappeared. That was his only good scene. Because mm. everyone was great in that scene. Because it was Meryl and Alec Baldwin and Steve Martin being stoned. I do think at the beginning of this movie, and again, this is why the first hour of this movie uh, was a complete flop for me, mm-hmm. was that I, I didn't feel like anybody was used to their potential. I think there was a a crap ton of overacting. Yeah, like, I, I also thought John Krasinski was overdoing it this entire time. and. It didn't bother me, but I feel like I know that he can do better, and I feel like this is an early film for him, and mm. he was probably just nervous and just overdoing it to like compensate with being in scenes with Meryl Streep. Maybe. And so I don't. I'm not I, I bothered thought, by I it. I thought John Krasinski was better than Meryl Streep in this movie. <laughs> and and I wrote I wrote once in a in a film review that I think Meryl Streep could play a toaster, and I would give her an Oscar. I th- thought she was fine. Okay. Sorry. But, but my problem with Steve Martin is what Nancy Myers does with Steve Martin in that we've seen him be the nice guy with uh, Father of the Bride in those movies. And mm-hmm. he gets goofy in those movies, but he's not like goofy like he is in The Jerk where he's sure. off the charts. Mm-hmm. We've seen him off the charts. We're not seeing Father of the Bride Steve Martin in this movie. And we're not seeing off the charts The Jerk Steve Martin. So he's just kind of plain in this movie. He's just a nice guy. And it's just kind of like, well, why did you cast Steve Martin then? Because he's not really bringing anything other than when they're stoned, but they're all bringing something. I'll tell you why. Because she wrote a boring character, so she needed somebody to bring life to him. 
That's that's possible because <laughs> because Steve Martin by design his character feels like the safe choice where Meryl Streep is just like I can just end all this pursue Steve Martin that's safe there's no problems. Did you get that his his uh, architecture firm seemed like it was just a redressed version of the shoe factory from Father <laughs> of the Bride? <laughs> you you seem to like this movie a little bit more than me. So I'm assuming that you have a really good rom-com Oscar to give to Best inebriation scene. No. Nope. Oh, what? Yeah. Best inebriation scenes. Because I like the scene where Meryl Streep throws up in her uh, dresser. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and I also like her stoned. And I also like the film. I think she was good stoned. <sighs> I also like the film asked the question, you're this stoned off of one hit? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, I, thank you for asking that question. Like, thank you, Steve Martin, for bringing that up. Because it, she was... <laughs> she was absurdly it, high. It was almost to the point where I was like, does Nancy Myers know what it means to be high? Because, like, she's like, cake, more cake. And I'm like, okay, the munchies is definitely a thing, but if she just had, like... A little bit of weed. She's not doing this yet. Yeah, so that's the weird awareness that Nancy Myers at least had was like, okay, I know you can't get that stone off of one hit. It's like, are you aware that a baker can't afford this house in a million miles? Well, also, are you aware that it's the most dangerous thing for a baker to smoke pot? (laughs) Um, Best inebriation. Okay. Um, Especially you got Alec Baldwin. Is there a term for what they're doing? Is there a... What are they doing? He's like he's like chimneying into John Krasinski's mouth. Oh, it's a well, it's kind of a shotgun um, where you blow out and he sucks in. Right. It's called shotgunning. You know, I've never been around. Um, I'm sure, there's more terms for it. I've never been around. Uh, what did they smoke? It was a um, a joint. A joint. You've never been around a joint. I've been around spliffs or bongs, but I don't think I've been around just a joint. I think. A spliff is the same thing as a joint. That's with uh, tobacco mixed in. Oh, we're going to have to look this up. Were my roommates lying? <laughs> I I was under the impression that they were always, wait, always rolling wait, did a couple people with their tobacco. Did a couple people hand you, and they're like, well, no, no, it's fine, Ryan. It's <laughs> it's just, it's part tobacco. They never got me. They never got me. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, what rom-com Oscar am I going to give this movie? You know what I'm going to say? that This movie has a very unexpected scene for me. Like, I... I I was almost ready to give up on this film by the time that she went to the the psychiatrist, therapist, therapist. I I was kind of getting tired of her conundrums. I was getting tired of the writing and the filmmaking, and I was just I was kind of like I, I I was, but I'm like just stick it out. And then John Krasinski saved it for me. Oh okay, because him not knowing what to do mm-hmm. when. They enter the um, the hotel, the hotel, and they start making out in the elevator, and he's just like, "Oh no!" I think John Krasinski's like, I think John Krasinski's reaction to this scene and the scene that followed after were so surprising to me that it jolted me back awake for this okay. movie, and so that's why I. I really give this first half of this film a D uh-huh. and the second half of this film like a B minus. Okay. Where I'm like, okay, I, I, I want to give this movie best, like best, best hinge. Uh-huh. Because. Or most improved. I mean, it doesn't no. improve to save the film, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like having that MVP in the game 
They still lost. Yes. But they okay. still had the MVP. Okay. What I'm going to call this. Also, in the first scene, I thought maybe John Krasinski might have been her son as well. It's very confusing. It's yeah. not well staged. <laughs> I, I think what I'm going to give this maybe is best ringer. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So best it, ringer. It's like uh, they, they fired up the bullpen. Uh, at like 45 minutes when they started to give John Krasinski stuff. He came out. Yeah, he's the saver. He threw some pitches. They lost, but they didn't lose as much as they were going to. <laughs> uh, there's a line in the movie I want to point out, uh, and I think it was Zoe Kazan who said it. And she's just like, Mom, I, th- I just need you to know how weird it is that you had an affair with your ex-husband. And I'm like... Yeah, that was the point of that was the plot of the movie. <laughs> Thanks for summing it up. And I feel like there were about a hundred a hundred points in time in this movie where they summed up what had happened so far in the film. Mm-hmm. And I I I wanna I like I kept wanting to give this movie more because there would be moments where I'd be like, oh, that was really sweet, or that was a funny moment. So again, like I don't think this movie is a complete failure or anything. It's just not my cup of it it has a lot of elements there I like and a lot of actors I like, but the way it gelled together was like the the means didn't justify the ends for me. I, I really do think this is another rom-com where the filmmaker says, I want you to unfocus your eyes and I want you to stop thinking critically about what's going on and I just want you to enjoy it. Yeah, they she did. And there's movies I can definitely do that with, um, but this wasn't one of them. And I, I think Nora, Nora Ephron, on the other hand, is like, I'm not going to take you on a brisk walk but we're going for a walk so keep up right she's like and bring a scarf okay? yeah because we're it's gonna rain <laughs> like it's it's is that not, what you wear when it rains is yeah, that why you're always I, wet I throw my scarf around my head <laughs> <laughs> well i brought a scarf it's raining it's portland <laughs> but well, people throw umbrellas at me if i wear an umbrella when harry met sally sleep is in seattle you've got mail you've got mail is the fluffiest one but the first two are definitely there's it requires a lot of like paying attention and it doesn't mm-hmm. get really heady uh, the way that an art house film gets, but there's a lot involved just Right, this isn't She's Gotta Have It, which does get really heady. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I think I think I like the middle ground films that have a little bit of escapism. And I mean, because you, you, you said this, you said that this film both had escapism, but tried to be psychologically interesting. And I, when but, we get to something's got to give, that'll be the interesting thing to see. Yeah, if it I works. can't. I really want to. I really want to watch that movie now. Like, I'm intrigued to see where she started, and if maybe there were. And the reason why I brought up Peter Jackson earlier wasn't because of Azog the Destroyer. Azog the Destroyer. It was because when somebody gets so successful, and I don't know if this is the case with Peter Jackson, but if if somebody gets so successful that nobody can really say know or rethink this to them that's kind of what this movie felt like to me where nancy myers is god and Uh she's going to make what she wants and there's nobody there to be like maybe we should do this Mm -hmm. that's kind of what that felt like to me okay i'm bear with me i know you don't like it when i do this but i'm going to uh reply to you in star wars this is fine (laughs) this is the problem that the star wars prequels have they are not super great movies. I've come to appreciate them over the years. Uh, I've liked them. I've not liked them as much. And then I've started to really like them again. I've never hated them the way that some people just hate them the way that your wife hates them. <laughs> yeah. And we've well, got to work that out. She was, she was older when they first came out, so she was really burned. So the the series Clone Wars comes out, uh, directed all or executive produced by Dave Filoni. 
uh, Dave Filoni goes on to make Rebels. And then Dave Filoni goes on to make with John Favreau The Mandalorian. And Mandalorian is one of the more like universally acclaimed Star Wars properties. But The Clone Wars is this thing where you have the, the god, which is George Lucas. He has all these ideas. But then you have someone who's not god, who is more down to earth, which is Dave Filoni, and be like, I see what you're trying to say. Really, we need to say it like this. Because if you watch the Clone Wars series, it's much better than the prequels because it has someone on the ground floor being like, look, this is how the story needs to be told. So I think you need Nancy Myers in the executive producer role where it's like, I want to have this fluffiness. I want to have this like dramatic realism. But then you need another filmmaker on the ground floor to be like, I know what you're trying to do. I think what you're missing is X. And mm-hmm. I think you might be one of those filmmakers where you probably would push her f- farther into realism than she would want to go. But I think you would you would be able to take her vision and and like reform it into that craftedness. Because I think I think we both agree for you at least the ingredients are there. It just doesn't come together the way you would like to come get come together. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I mean it reminds me of like it reminds me of um, the parfait mm-hmm. in Friends. What's not to like? Custard, good. Jam, good. Meat, good. However, there are ingredients to this movie I like. One of them would be who I fell in love with. Who was that? Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is I loved you from the first second I met you. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, and love, and love you. I know. Not Meryl Streep. Not Alec Baldwin. Not Steve Martin. Not John Krasinski. He's a little too manic. I need him to keep it together. He did keep it together. He was the one who kept this whole he thing from was, blowing up. He almost exploded in that hotel. Imagine if you were dealing with this situation. Would you Would you handle it so well? Well, <laughs> that was the one scene where I was irked by his performance. And really? Then, and then every other scene, like him at the party with Alec Baldwin smoking weed, mm-hmm. him at Meryl Streep's house. Uh, and, and like, I like that he calls her boss. Yeah, all that. Pitch perfect. It was just that one scene in the hotel that felt a little much for me. If I was directing the scene, I would I would just go up to John and be like, "We're just gonna take dial one notch backward, just one." Her finding him on the bench, like wringing his hair out in distress. Yeah, I think that was a little bit much. But right. I, again, yeah, filmmaking wise, yeah. not John Krasinski wise. Uh, so <laughs> this is kind of conceited because there's not much to her, but I'm gonna go with Zoe Kassan because she's cute. <laughs> yeah, she totally is. And she's she's the chill member of the family, and uh, I wouldn't mind uh, hanging out with her. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> but not like Belle. <laughs> Sorry, you're kind of mean in this movie. Yeah, I feel like she got the, the short end of the stick character-wise. Yeah. Because maybe she's like that way with Alec Baldwin for a reason. Yeah. Maybe not, but I'd like to know one way or the other. Yeah. Um, not Pedro. <laughs> he's a He's a... He's a jerk. He's a dick. Um, no, I'm going to say, if I was going to fall in love with somebody in this movie, I'm going to say John Krasinski. Okay. 
John Krasinski is lovable, and not only that, he like goes out of his way to like be cool with the parents, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's yeah. something you don't need to do, but is like is a good partner does, and he goes above and beyond. Yeah, so I s- I saw you like that with Robin's mom. Not not in this capacity. Oh, at our wedding, I was like, <laughs> yeah. "When did you hang out with me and Robin?" Yeah, but I, I saw you guys were cool together. Yeah, we're cool. We hang out. You know what shot they needed in this movie was when Meryl Streep comes to their house late in the film, and she's talking to all the kids in bed, mm-hmm. and John Krasinski's like waiting in the hallway. What we should have saw while she was giving her monologue is John Krasinski s- sitting in the hallway against the wall, listening and getting right. emotional. I. I Again, bet you a billion dollars they shot that shot, but didn't find a place to put it in the edit. Because there's so many times where he just is like sneaking out of frame yeah. or something like that. And like, I feel like he has that kind of comedic timing that we get a lot of in The Office, where he's just like trying to melt into the background, but you see him and are entertained by him doing so. Right, right, right. And. I, I like I was talking about how if I rewrote the movie, I'd want the wedding to be a big part of it. Yeah. And I'd really like John Krasinski and Meryl Streep's relationship to be boosted in that because you can tell that they have a good relationship. Yeah. And I liked that. And I want to see more scenes between the two of them because I think if they got a serious scene together, I'd really like that back and forth. Yeah. 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 I think what I'm saying is John Krasinski. Okay. <laughs> well, Ryan. That's the film. That's the film. I think we know what we're watching next week already, don't we? We are watching... In honor of the inauguration, which happened, I guess, at this point, two weeks ago. When this is coming when, out. Yeah. But it's happening tomorrow for us in, in this time. Yeah, so maybe maybe we did this a little a little hanky-wonky, but people will, <laughs> will still be... Hanky-wonky. <laughs> it's a new thing. People will still be um, in that whole inauguration mood. So we are going to do... The American president. Have you seen it before? It's indeed Nice. When was that? Um, when it was on TNT every other day. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> I feel like they were either doing The American President or Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Well, uh, come with us next week to the Oval Office. Yep. If you want to write us an email about, like, maybe, maybe you are, you know... Super rich and in California, and you have... Tell a, us how it is. Maybe we got it totally wrong. You have a couple of words to say to me about my um, proletariat classism. Um, <laughs> and feel free to write us an email at romcomgents at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook or Instagram or any of those fun places. We're always laying out like a new rom... Sometimes a rom-com cocktail to yeah. have with the movie that we're watching this week. What else are we doing on there? We're doing polls. We're asking questions. Yeah. We're getting your we're asking input. the big questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come check us out. It's a fun place to hang. And we got lots of people. Yeah. Lots of good people to interact with. Yeah. No letters this week. So you want to take us out? Yeah. Kelly? Where's my... I'm going to grab this. <laughs> my microphone. Oh. What are you going to do with that? I want you to know... <laughs> That when I'm <laughs> when I'm going to the family medical center, I want you to know that I'm always thinking of you. <laughs> and <laughs> and this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to
a review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. <laughs>